Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. Our scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel of John, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and the disciples believed in him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Almighty and gracious God, as we worship this morning, as we've sung your praises and offered our petitions, as we hear your word read and proclaimed, fill our hearts till they are full of your spirit. But in doing so, Lord, work a miracle within our lives so that we would leave this place not just hearers of your word, but doers of your word. In your son's holy name we pray, amen. So it was the top of the second inning of the Division II Women's Softball World Series. Top of the second game, it was Western Oregon versus Central Washington. Having lost the first game, Western Oregon changed their lineup up a little bit, and they put senior Sarah Tchaikovsky into the game. And Sarah was sort of an average player, but they thought she was due. They thought this was her time. And so as she stepped to bat, she took the first pitch and took it as a strike. But having been fooled once, her eyes were wide open. And when the second pitch came in, she did what she had never done in her college career. Here in the twilight of that career, she had done what she had never been able to do. She swung mightily and hit the ball in the sweet spot of her bat and sent it clear over the center field fence. A home run. So excited that she was as she celebrated going down the baseline. So excited she missed first base. Now realizing the error of her ways, she turned back so that she could touch the base and continue. 
But as she turned back, for whatever reason, a freak of nature, force, or misstep, her knee gave out. Gave out in such an agonizing way that as she crumpled to the ground that she could not even get back up to get to first, much less finish rounding the bases. Her coach on first base was imploring her, come on, come on back, Sarah, come on back, calling her back to, home, back to first base so that she could at least touch first. Knowing in his heart of hearts that he wanted to pick her up and help her back and then help her around the bases, he knew that if he touched her at all, it would be an automatic out. And they're watching as she climbs, as she crawls back to first, looking at the umpires, imploring them, can't we do something about this? And the umpires, almost to freeze the world in a moment's time, conferred with the coaches in her dugout, conferred with each other and said, there's no way, nobody, if she goes back to first and you have to take her out for a pinch runner, the runner has to stop at first. And in doing so, Sarah would not get credit for the run that she would have scored, but even for her credit for the home run. And as they were conferring, having this conference right there on the baseline, umpires and coaches, a voice was heard to say, would it be okay if I carried her around the bases? And as I carried her, she touched each one of them. The owner of that voice was Mallory Holtman, the central Washington first baseman. And the coaches and the umpires looked at her completely stunned. They quickly conferred the rule books and amazing, imagine this, I mean, amazingly, as if we would have thought you needed a rule about this, there is no rule that prohibits the other team interfering with the runner in a positive way. Now you get that. No rule interfering in a positive way, and the umpire sort of scratched their head and said, well, there's no rule against it. And with that, Mallory enlisted the, the help of her teammate, Liz, and Mallory and Liz picked Sarah up at first base and carried her to second and lowered her so that she could touch second with her good leg. And then on to third and around the horn, back to home. And so in that instance, in that very moment, not a dry eye in the stadium as they watched the sheer act of sportsmanship, Mallory and Liz carried their opponent around the bases, fulfilling her dream, her greatest triumph in her college softball career, a home run, and at the same time put their team in a losing position. When asked about this later, Mallory said, well, anyone would have done that. Now, I don't know about you, but the sports world I grew up in said, you do everything you can so that your team wins. You stay within the rules, but you do everything you can so that your team wins, and you don't do anything to help the other team out. Which is exactly the opposite of what Mallory and Liz did. And then claimed that anyone would have done it. I'm not so sure. I mean, who does that, right? Who does that in this day's time? Who does that to help someone else get ahead so that we can lose, possibly? Well, I think Mallory had read today's passage.
I think Mallory had read the story of the turning water into wine, of the miracle that changed the world for all of us. I think she subscribed to a higher sense of humanity and a higher sense of calling. See, in today's text, it records Jesus' first miracle. In the Gospel of John, Jesus has been baptized, and now he's beginning his earth. You know, we fast forward a handful of years, and Jesus begins his earthly ministry. They're at this wedding, and we assume because Jesus is there with his mother that it's either a close family friend or maybe it's family in its own right. And they're there, and the party is going along fine, but then all of a sudden it runs aground. There is a great peril of a social faux pas. In those days, a wedding was the biggest event in the life of a family, the biggest event of the year. And the one rule of thumb you had is don't run out of wine too early. Read that to mean at all. Been to one of those parties? Right, don't run out of wine at all. And all of a sudden, they're running out of wine. All of a sudden, they have this great social faux pas, and Jesus' mother sees this and goes to Jesus and says, you can do something about it. And I love what Jesus says. He says, Woman, why do you mess with me? Now, I don't know about you, but I don't think that anybody but Jesus could say to his mother, woman, why are you messing with me? I mean, that's just an instant, mm, that's a rule you don't break. But he challenges his mother and says, why do you, it's not my time. And as a good mother, she sort of probably looks at him and cocks her head like, mm-hmm. And then she looks at the servants. Before he can answer, she looks at the servants and she says, what? Do whatever he says. Now, if I'm the servant, I'm thinking, oh boy, this is going to be great. But what does Jesus do? He tells the servant, draw water, bring it to me. They bring the water in these jars. And then he says, dip it out and carry it to the host. He care, they carry the host and the host takes a sip and the host who looks at this and says, and then goes to the bridegroom who's responsible for the whole party and says, what are you thinking? Everybody knows the social rules. You serve the best wine first. And then once everybody's had their fill of it, then you serve the cheap stuff. I mean, we all know this rule, right? It's best wine, then it's two buck chuck, and then it's whatever's in a box. <laughs> but what happens? They've had, well, the best wine, or so they think, and then all of a sudden, at the end, when they're almost out, when disaster is about to happen, Jesus steps in, and it's the best wine anyone has ever tasted. And it's at that moment, in John's Gospel, that the whole world takes note that Jesus' ministry is going to be like nothing anyone has ever seen. That it's not going to be one about teaching and telling everyone what God thinks. It's going to be one that is socially transforming. It's going to be one that turns the social con conventions and the world on its end and says, pay attention because I'm about to transform the world as you know it. Because only the good one is what I expect. Only the good one is what I'm going to provide to the world. Almost as if foreshadowing the end. So as we look at this scripture, as we look at this passage, we begin to realize that this is about Jesus' ministry. It's about the transforming nature of it. Sure, there's the miracle of water to wine, ordinary to extraordinary. 
But there's also this part that calls us to higher values, to a higher standard of living, to a higher way of living and dealing and sharing and shaping life with each other. And then there's the part of it that changes lives in everyone around us. So let's break it down and start at the beginning. Pure and simple. It's a miracle about turning water into wine. If that wasn't miracle enough, it's not only just water to wine, which is, which is just amazing, but it's ordinary to extraordinary. Water to the best wine that anyone's ever tasted. But you know, if we're really honest with ourselves, we really shouldn't be surprised about this, this idea of ordinary to extraordinary. Because think about Jesus' life and everything that happened in it. You have Jesus born to a simple carpenter and his teenage bride. And where was he born? But in a stable. And all of a sudden, a simple feed trough, a manger, where the cows and the sheep and the animals eat was created and laid aside for his bed. The cradle for the king of kings, the ordinary for the extraordinary. Or later in ministry, when they are walking along Jesus and the gang and 5,000 people listening to Jesus teach as he walks, and they pull up on a hillside one afternoon. It's late in the day and everyone's hungry and there's not a convenience store or a grocery store or market anyone nearby. And the disciples go, hey, Jesus, we got a problem. We got to feed all these people. And Jesus says, don't worry. I got this. Go see what you can find. And a boy comes forward and he says to Jesus, you can have my lunch. You can have my sack lunch. You can have my two loaves and my five fish if it'll help. And we know what happens. This ordinary gift, Jesus turns into something extraordinary where all 5,000 people eat and there's 12 baskets of leftovers at the end. Ordinary to extraordinary. So if we follow the advice of Jesus' mother to listen to what he says as God's Spirit pours into us, we realize that the ordinary, you and me, can become extraordinary with the power of the Holy Spirit. Some 70 years ago, there was a farmer in Charlotte, North Carolina, a dairy farmer, who felt God's call upon his life to go from being a dairy farmer to a preacher. And before you knew it, over 70 years of ministry, preaching in stadiums around the world, talking to presidents with movies and film and preaching in churches, thousands, no, millions of people experienced the grace and the love of God and the calling of Christ upon their lives. These crusades, Billy Graham began to change the world. Billy Graham at the time of civil rights movement was one of the first preachers in America to stand up and to say, all God's children are equal. And I will stand firmly beside those that are fighting for those rights. Ordinary to extraordinary. So what about us? What about you and me, ordinary people? How can we receive the Spirit and be filled up to do, as Mary says, follow and do whatever he says, to be filled up as ordinary people? If we allowed ourselves, how might God turn us into extraordinary people? To let us use our lives in extraordinary ways for the good of God's kingdom for the world around us. See, I think it's that transformative power that God calls us to a higher standard. God calls us to become the best wine, if you will, for our world. To sort of turn the old social order, the old social convictions on their end. I mean, think about who Jesus did ministry with. 
who Jesus met with, who he stood with, who he ate with. Sure, he came to talk to the religious leaders of the days, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the chief priests. But who did he spend most of his time with? He ate with sinners. He took care of the poor. He healed the sick, gave sight to the blind. He spent his time with regular people like you and me. And the question that we ask ourselves is, who would he stand with if he walked into the doors, if he walked the streets of our world today? Who are the people that Jesus would be talking to? Who are the people that he would be standing with? And see, you and I, if we're to be filled up with God's Spirit and to be transformed, then we're the hands and feet of Christ in our world today. Who are we called to stand with? Who are we called to be in ministry with in the world around us? To do what is right, not what is popular. Because as we know in our heart of hearts, what is popular is not always right. On this Martin Luther King weekend, I think of the civil rights movement 51 years ago, blacks and whites fighting together to say that all men were created equal and everybody, no matter what color they were, deserved a fair shake in life. And yet still to this day, we have the lingering ills of racism hovering around the corners and the edges of our world, joined by sexism and jingoism and religiosity. And I wonder to myself, who are we called to stand for? And when I think of that question, I realize that we are called to give voice to those who are powerless because what is right is not always popular. We are called to lift people up, to hold them equal because we know what we learned in Sunday school, red and yellow, black and white, we are all precious in God's sight. And somehow we want to define ourselves and cut and put each other in little boxes Well, we're this type of person or these type of people or this group of people, but when it's all said and done, the box stops first and foremost with, we are all children of God, aren't we? And that's who I think Christ calls us. If we're to be transformed and filled with God's spirit, if we're to be the best wine for the world around us, then we stop the line at we stand for all of God's children, plain and simple. But see, the transforming power of Christ in our hearts means not only to work miracles, ordinary, extraordinary, not only to be the best wine, but that we are a changed people. It means that we are changed in such a way that the whole world notices everything about us. Imagine if you, imagine with me, if you will, if you were at that wedding in Canaan. Imagine you started hearing the rumblings. Everyone wanted to talk about, I can't believe they almost ran out of wine. Can you? But you witnessed this. I mean, the servants, they couldn't come away from this conversation, this episode, without being changed themselves, could they? Because they were watching a social disaster about to happen and right in their midst. And that some woman told her son, you can fix this. And he changed water to wine and it was the best wine. That changes someone, doesn't it? But also, what about the rest of the guests? When they started to hear this, when they sipped that wine and they realized it was better than the wine they sipped when they came in the door, they realized something's different here, isn't it? Well, the same is true for you and me, isn't it? You see, when we realize that God's expectations have lifted the bar high because the transforming power of the Spirit calls us to be better people, then we cannot be the same. 
When we hear Mary's words in our ears, do what he says, let him fill your heart, then we live and act differently. We realize that all people are children of God, plain and simple, and that we start there and that's where we stop. Where we love and hold each other up, guard each one's dignity, save each one's pride. We realize that they are not strangers, but they are brothers and sisters, and we have great compassion in our hearts for them. We start to look on the margins of life where folks want to see darkness cloud in, and we say enough is enough, and we realize that we are the ones that reflect the light of heaven in the dark corners of our world. We invite others to join us here in our sanctuary, here in our church, here in our community, to follow God, to be the best people God has called us to be. But when we are filled, turned in from ordinary to extraordinary people, when we realize that we are the best wine and that God calls us to be that, we realize that our lives have to be changed. We can no longer sit on the sideline of life and look at the problems around us and say, you know, someone needs to do something about that. Because when our lives are so transformed in that way, instead of saying someone needs to do something about that, we say first and foremost, that's a problem. I can be a part of the solution. I will help do something about that. And you see, when we do that, that's the miracle of God's transforming power. That's the miracle that happened at the wedding of Cana. Ordinary lives made extraordinary, extraordinary lives fulfilling the gospel and the gospel changing the world around us. So when Sarah Tolkowski hit that hit, when the ball went over the fence, she, re- she achieved something she had never achieved before, only to watch it almost be taken away from her. But Mallory Holtman did the unthinkable, didn't she? She did what no one expected, what no coach had ever taught her to do, what no one thought would ever happen in a ball game. Mallory picked her up so that Sarah would win, so that Sarah would achieve her best, even if it just might mean that Mallory's team would lose. Mallory said, anyone would do this, right? And the whole world had to begin asking the question, is she right? Isn't this the world we want to live in, a world in which we lift each other up so that we all triumph, even if it means that we may ourselves not reach the victory because someone else has? And if you read that story and then you read online, you see more and more examples in youth and college sports leagues where that has happened time and time again. Competitors who were striving for themselves, striving for their team, saw someone else struggle and stumble and help them across the finish line. See, those are boys and girls, men and women, who until that moment had led ordinary lives. But some moving of the Spirit called them to be extraordinary and called them to be the best wine they could be, to change the world around them. And in that moment, In that miracle, I think our God in heaven smiles because he says they get it. They get what the miracle at Canaan was all about. And so what if we did that? 
What if we took the words of Mary to heart as the servants and said, listen to what he says, do what he does. And we found our hearts filled with his spirit, overflowing and changing the world around us because we ourselves were transformed by God's grace and God's love for each and every one of us. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll consider joining us for worship on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock or Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, or 11. Have a blessed day.